0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. I trust you had a very busy week and a very good week. A big thank you to Brett, who shared the word last week, and his friend Logan, who shared a testimony. It was a wonderful blessing to have him come along and and, and share the word with us. Uh, Everyone at home, welcome. It is wonderful to see you. Well, I can't see you, but it's wonderful that you're here uh, this morning as we get into the word together. And I was reading, I've been reading through Galatians recently, and I came across a verse Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, that begins in the following way. It says, Now that you know God, or rather known by God, which caused me to stop. Now that you know God, or rather known by God. You see, last week Brett gave us a wonderful reminder about where, or rather who, we are to choose to remain where we choose to abide. And a thought crossed my mind as I watched the sermon online last week how we as Christians choose to remain, for example, earthbound, or how we as Christians choose to remain temporarily temporarily secure, or temporally secure, or how we as Christians choose to remain even within church as activity focused and we can completely forget about the fact not the intent not the idea not the principle but we can forget about the fact that we have been invited to a relationship with him. That we have had an invitation extended to us by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And you see this heart of God revealed as you look at the scriptures. I mean, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, we read, Come, let us reason together. We read in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 1, when the Lord says to his people, Return to me. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, we have the Lord Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You'll notice that the invitation that is extended is not to activity. It is not to a security or a temporal earthly security. It is not to this earthly life, but to him. It is to him as our Saviour, to Him as our God, to Him as our Lord. And perhaps one of the factors that contribute to us drifting away from this fact is that maybe, just maybe, we have lost sight of the greatness of our God. We have lost sight of the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have lost sight of the comforting presence of His Spirit, not intentionally even, not deliberately. It could be just life that overwhelms us at times. It can be a change in routine that sort of trips us up as we continue to live life in this world. It could be due to convenience It could be due to busyness. It could be due to our own personal laziness or even to another extent as opposed to a change of routine, perhaps just a religious routine that we can fall into. So today, at the beginning of this Christmas season, I wanted us to get back to the basics of that invitation. I wanted us to look at the steps the Lord has taken to extend that invitation to you and to me. And this begins with some basic foundational principles of relationship building of getting to know someone, of communing with them and they in turn communing with you. And all these things have been available made available to us as we look into the scriptures. It's been made available to us as we spend time in prayer, as we meditate on the Word and and getting familiar with what I like to call the sermon today, the knowing of God. The knowing of God, not intellectually, not academically, but relationally and experientially. Because relationships are to be experienced. Relationships are to be interactive. Interactive. And this is what God desires from us, and he has given us the privilege to partake of that with him. So prayerfully, we'll be encouraged and also challenged in our our view of who God is and what he desires to work in each of our hearts. So if you'll just allow me to open in a word of prayer, let's look at the scriptures together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for yourself We thank you so much for the greatness of who you are, the majesty of your person, the sovereignty of your position, how you have involved yourself with us to the minutest of detail. If you know that any sparrow falls to the ground, Father, we are worth so much more than sparrows. And we thank you that you are concerned with where we are at and with where we are at with you. So I pray this morning you will help us to see the beauty of who you are, that we will be encouraged to follow after you, that we would be stirred within our souls to thirst after you as the deer pants for water. So, Father, we ask now that you will calm our spirits, that you will ease our minds as we look into your word today, and that you will minister to us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, in the beginning, in the beginning. To begin, let's start... At the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, we read of God's creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we read of God's ordered intentionality in the creation of the universe and all the laws that are held within both physically and spiritually by which we as humanity are governed. For example, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read this. In the beginning, time, God created, the he- God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. One person actually added to these verses and says, and God said, there you have power. Mentioned that as well. Now I know this isn't a scientific explanation per se, but the truth manifest here remains that God initiated of his own will his desire to create that which was good in his sight. And as... As a a painter stands transcendent above the scene he paints on the canvas, as the the sculptor stands apart and superior to the slab of marble that he brings about this this wonderful statue from, so too God in his greatness, God in his beauty, God in his majesty, stands above and beyond his creation, time, matter, matter. Space. I love the description that somebody mentioned many, many years ago. If if somebody stands superior to it, they pour themselves, part of themselves are poured into it, but they stand above above it. They stand superior to it. And if the universe is made up of time, matter, and space, the creator of time must therefore, by nature, be eternal. Because he stands superior to it. In Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2 we read this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From eternity past to eternity future, you are God. As the creator of space, he therefore by nature must be without limit. Job, chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, 8 says this, Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? As the creator of matter, he must by nature then be spirit. John 4.24 is... A shared from this morning, God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship Him in spirit and in truth. As the creator of all that is natural, he must, in being being superior to what is natural, be supernatural. If you read John chapter one verses one to five, it 's not going to be up there if you 've got your Bible's turned to it. It says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He is the God who reigns. He is the God who, according to Acts 17.25, is the one who, who does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. We see the greatness of God in Genesis chapter 1. The intentionality of God in chapter 1. The creativity of God in chapter 1. We see what he makes, what he decides to make. We see the power of God manifest in the way he makes it and god said in chapter 1 the word used for god is the word elohim and it represents his unique nature as the triune god his plurality as as three persons and one god but even more than that as evident in chapter 1 is the connection to what he does that, that elohim is the god of power that he's the god of power in psalm 3388 and sorry let me calm down. Psalm 33, verses 8 and 9. I'm, I'm trying really, really hard to speak slowly today. I'll see how I go. But in Psalm 33, verse 8 and 9, we read, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The power of God is represented in chapter 1 the great Elohim, of whom there is no one else that is comparable to him. When you move into chapter 2, we see the account of creation repeated, but with a focus placed on on that intentionality and on that order, especially detailed in the creation of man. We look in chapter 2, we see basically, uh, an elaboration of what takes place in Genesis chapter 1:26 when he creates man in his image. But in chapter 2, we see how he was formed from the dust of the ground. We see that he was made in his image and that he was breathed into his nostrils, the very breath of life by God himself, in chapter 2, verse 17. But when we're looking at the knowing of God, I want you to take specific notice of the change in God's name from chapter 1 to chapter 2. In chapter 1, we have the name Elohim, which represents his power and his plurality, how he stands far above who we are. But in chapter 2, you'll notice that it's now referred to as the Lord God. Now that name is the name Yahweh or Jehovah. Jehovah. And represented in English as the the Lord God. But the exciting truth connected to this name is that it is personal. That it is a relational interaction with his creation. Where one represents power, the other one represents relationship. And Dr. Tony Evans made a wonderful observation. He says, many of us, as God's children, desire the Elohim God, the God of power, the God that can change, the God that can work miracles, that can make wonders appear in your life. We expect the God of Elohim to be in our lives, and yet we fail to have the God of Jehovah, the God of relationship, the God of interaction the God of involvement. You can't have one without the other. For us to experience the fullness of God's power must first start with us experiencing the fullness of God's person. Of, as shared in Galatians 4, verse 9, now that you know God, or rather known by him. That's what he desires from us, that he is a God of relationship, a God that has interaction with his creation. He is the Jehovah Jireh, as he is described by Abraham in Genesis 22, 14. He is the the great provider. He is the Jehovah Nisi, as he is described by Moses in Exodus 17, verse 15, that he is the Lord, my banner. Or that he is the Jehovah Shalom, that he is my peace, that is described by Gideon in Judges 6.24. See, Yahweh, or Jehovah, points to the fact that he is a personal God, that he's a God that can be known, and he desires us to know him as Lord, as God, and as Father. And how is this relation, relational aspect of God, of the Lord God, revealed? That comes all about in Genesis chapter 3. Hey, look at that. We've gone through two chapters already. But in Genesis chapter 3, it is revealed by the hope that he instills in his creation, even in their disobedience and in their failure. I'll give you a quick recap, a a Joe Helg summary of Genesis chapter 3 to begin. So in recap, Genesis chapter 3, Eve is tempted... By the serpent and eats of the fruit that God specifically said not to. She then gives that fruit to Adam, who eats of it as well, and that act separates God and man. It breaks that fellowship, it breaks that relationship that God had created man to have with himself. That close relationship that they once shared has now been broken, and it plunges humanity into a state. Actually, let's clarify a bit more. It plunges us into a state of spiritual death, of spiritual separation from God. God then spells out the consequences of their sin. And that is a fact that is shared all throughout Scripture, that your sin will find you out. Numbers 32.23 says that, that your sin will find you out. It happened with David, happened with so many other people. Your sin will come back to bite you, either in this life or in the, the, the judgment before God. There are consequences to our sinful decisions. Thus, when humanity chose their own desires over God's, when they chose their own goals over God's, their own pleasures over God's, and you see this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, the God of creation, who is holy and who is just, as well as loving and gracious, gives this promise in hope and hope for Adam and Eve and his condemnation of the serpent. This is what I like. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we read this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Here's the promise. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first reference to the promised deliverer. The first reference to Jesus Christ. The first glimmer of hope given for Adam and Eve, who had now, through their disobedience, separated, broken that friendship that God had originally created for them to have. You see, it is in verse 15, we have God speaking Himself as to what He is going to do to restore what humanity had broken. That the offspring of the woman would crush the head or the power of the serpent. Because head speaks to leadership. Head speaks to management. It speaks to the legal position that the serpent now had because man had given that ownership over to the serpent in his disobedience. The offspring that was promised to bring about this re-establishment of fellowship. The promise to bring about this friendship that had been lost. And it was once shared. Pardon. And it's revealing the person that we are looking to today. The person that the whole world celebrates, even if they don't even know it, around this type of year. He is that prophet, Deuteronomy 18, 15 refers to. He is the anointed one, Daniel 9, 25 speaks about. He is the chosen one, Isaiah 42, 1 proclaims. It is the person of Jesus Christ that is promised In Genesis 3.15, to not only give Adam and Eve hope, but to give you and I hope as well. To give you and I strength as well. To give you and I confidence as well that we are not left to our own devices, but a God who is personal, a God who is relational, a God because of his great love for us, even in our failure, comes in the form of a man clothed in human flesh, in order to bring us back to himself, even though we are all like sheep who have gone astray, each turning to his own way, to bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. Therefore, in the now, because there is this eternal, limitless, spiritual God who is supernatural, who is personal and involved and relational we can find hope in our despair we can have strength in our weariness and we can have comfort in our struggles because of the involvement he chooses to have with us he is the god that reached out to Adam and Eve in their sin and provided a covering for their offense in Genesis 3.21. He is the God who met with Abraham and heeded Abraham's intercession on behalf of Sodom in Genesis 18. He is the God who raised up Moses to lead his people from bondage in Egypt in Exodus 3. In a like manner, He is the God who is personal and relational to you and I and whatever circumstances that we are in, that He instills within us hope and our despair and maybe maybe even granting us deliverance from our troubles or in our troubles giving us strength to overcome or in those troubles giving us the vision to see beyond what is the here and now. Or, in those same troubles, giving us a perspective for our state and to understand that this might be working about a greater working of glory in our hearts as we are conformed more to the image of Jesus. You see, looking at what the Lord does after this promised deliverer in verse 15, he explains the consequences of their sin and then does this revealing his loving compassionate heart to what Adam and Eve or to Adam and Eve should I say If you look in verses 21 and 22 we read this Genesis chapter 3 The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife and clothed them And the Lord God said the man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. In those two verses, we see the love of God. We see the grace of God. We see the long suffering of God. We see the involvement of God with those that he loves. That's what we see. How do we see that? First, what does he do for Adam and Eve at the beginning? He makes provision for their sin. He provides an atonement. He provides a covering for their offense that they made toward Him by sacrificing an animal in their place and covering them in animal skins. We are told within the Scriptures that the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. We are told within the scriptures, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So, what does God do for the sin of Adam and Eve? He takes an innocent animal and sacrifices it. That the blood of that innocent animal is now provide an atonement for the offense that Adam and Eve had committed. Their first response, what was their first response? when they had hidden from god they made themselves clothes with fig leaves they made leaves because they were naked you see those those pictures of adam and eve running around wearing leaves that's what they did that is the effort of humanity to try and cover and make them cover their offenses and make themselves acceptable to god this is what religions do today this is what the world does today I had the privilege of sharing with a year 12 student on Friday who asked me some questions and she was doing an interview and we were talking about this whole issue of sin and I was saying how we as people can never make ourselves acceptable to God. She says, you're a nice guy, Joe. I says, I know. He says, you're really funny. Thank you. And we're just having a great conversation and I says, but regardless of what my standard of goodness is, it will never reach, it will never meet the standard that God requires. What God requires is perfection. What God requires is holiness. Hey, Danny. <laughs> well, sorry, it's just wonderful to see Danny because he, he came in. For those of you who don't know, Danny heard himself playing soccer. It's a terrible game, anyway. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway. But I was sharing with this girl, and and, and I just explained to her that sin is a part of of who we are and how we try to cover it up. We try to cover up our sin by giving to charity. We try to cover up our sin sin by being good to others. We try to cover up our sin by by, by going to church on a Sunday or or by by being loving and caring. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's wonderful. Please, don't walk away saying, oh, there's no point being generous. There's no point being nice, there's no point being that if it's not going to be... And I said, yeah. there's nothing wrong with doing those things, but because we are tainted by sin, we will always fall short of what God requires. That's the reason. Because we need a change of nature, not a change of activity. We need a change of nature. We need to be changed from the inside out, to have our heart replaced. And God knows this. And what he did for Adam and Eve was provide a sacrifice. What's provide an atonement? You know what he does for us? He provides for us a sacrifice in the person of Jesus Christ. You know what he does for us? He provides for us an atonement through the person of Jesus Christ. You know what he does for us? He provides for us a newness of life in the person of Jesus Christ. He provides for us a change of our nature in the person of Jesus Christ. He he brings us and makes us, enables us to be born again through the person of Jesus Christ, to change us, to take my sinful heart and make it completely new. That's what he has done for us, that our friendship with God through Jesus Christ, our provision is his spirit that enables us, his provision of of his word that equips us uh, his a provision of his people to support us. Those things have all taken place. He has provided such things for us in the person of Jesus Christ. What's the second thing he does there with Adam and Eve? He identifies their current state. If you'll notice, he says that the, he says, man has become like one of us. The word like is used to describe man here. God doesn't say that he is now one of us. He is like one of us, able to discern good and evil. But it is a language that dismisses the reality of humanity being God. Because while we are made in his image, as we read in Genesis 1.26, and I like the way one person put it, he said, We have a mind to think. We have a will to choose and we have emotions to feel. And that way we are made in the image of God. When Adam sinned, there was one extra little thing that added to to it. And that is being autonomous. Where man sought to be self-governing. Where man wanted to take and be the measure of goodness himself outside of God. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work because you see in a world today where people have cast aside the word of God, where people have cast aside the very existence of God and people have sought to live standards where they are the measure of right and wrong, what do you find? You find chaos. You find friction. You find tension. You find hatred. You look all throughout human history and you see the evidence of when God has been eliminated from mankind's existence, from society's existence. I've always liked what A. W. W. Tozer said. He said, a society will never go beyond their, their church. It will never go beyond their church, because the church back in those days in the 60s was supposed to be the standard or the moral compass for society. He says, a society will never go beyond a church and their view of God. And a church will never go any further beyond what that church or how that church views God. Therefore, if we as a church have a small view of of God, if our God is small, if our God is the God of the Bible only according to our intellect and not to the reality that is revealed, then we go nowhere and we impact no one for the kingdom. But this is why he has extended this to us. That we are not the source of moral standards. He is. We are not the master of our own fate. Honestly, he is. It is why Paul speaks the truth. Within Romans chapter 7, he says that in me, that is within my flesh, there is no good thing. Everybody here and everybody at home, you would identify with this. You know when you have those bad thoughts about somebody. You know when you're sitting there and you're getting frustrated. You know when you're driving and you want to run somebody off the road. You know, don't do that, but you know, you know what your heart is like. We are told in Jeremiah 17:9 that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. I shared this with the student on Friday, and she goes, Really? The Bible says our heart is like that. And I said, Yeah. Because you know how selfish you are. It might be with food. You have your last thing, and someone says, Can I have that? And you're like, Hmm. And she's like, Yeah, I, I see that. You justify. You justify your sin. That shows how deceitful your heart is. You that download stuff illegally, you're like, They got plenty of money. You justified it. You justify not doing something because ah, I'm not going to be kind to that person because they weren't kind to me. You justify your own sinful attitudes, and your own sinful acts. That shows how deceitful our heart is. We are told in John chapter 3, verse 19, that light came into the world. And you know what humanity did? We prefer darkness rather than light. Why? Because our deeds are evil. But because of that, because of that, thirdly, I really like this, he boots humanity from the garden. This is the love of God manifest here when he disciplines his children, he boots them from the garden specifically to keep them from eating of the tree of life. For if humanity became immortal, then man would never die. And if man could never die, man could then never have the opportunity to be reconciled back to God. And I think about that. And and this is no disrespect. This is no disrespect to anybody that's that's of the uh, the um, superior age, um, the advanced age. Uh, But I've seen I've seen you know people who have have moved on people like for example my dad amazing man I love my dad dearly my dad but his memory was going his memory was going as he was getting older and things and it was really it was really neat and I'm really thankful for my children when he would come and he would say the same story over and over again and and especially my youngest um, he may not remember this but he was always really intent on listening to every story as if he had heard it for the first time. Even if he heard it like 12, 13 times, he was still just as interested. And maybe I don't know how he did it, but it was it was impressive. And that's I'm talking to you. Yeah, yeah well done, well done. But you, you know what I mean? But if, imagine this. Let's say let's say Adam partake partook of that, and as our body breaks down, all we be is just a shell that would be alive. That's it. No quality of life. God in His love for us booted man out of the garden so man could die. But in that death, have the opportunity to be reconciled back to himself. That is the love of God towards people, even in his disciplining of them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, according to Proverbs 27.6. So, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear... Don't despise the discipline of the Lord because whom He loves, He disciplines. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And the boundaries set for me as His child are done so for my benefit. Psalm 119, verse 75. A beautiful psalm about the Word of God. We read, I know, Lord, that Your ways are righteous and in faithfulness You have afflicted me. I want to read that verse again. Psalm 119.75 says, I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous, and in your faithfulness you have afflicted me. This same God is who we have the privilege of knowing through Jesus Christ. It is a privilege that we lose sight of because of numerous reasons. We lose sight of it, Because of a change of routine. Say our work hours, our shifts change. We might have added responsibilities. At the moment we have some family staying with us. The the twins, we have the twins staying with us and and and, and their brother. And that was a change of routine for me. Of having, I'm I'm so tired. I'm amazed. Like they're so full of energy and, and they go to bed so late and they wake up so early. And and you're just like, wow! And like, I I need some time to read. I said, oh, we put them to bed, and I'm about to read. And I open my Bible, and and I'm gone. It's just why? Because it's this change of routine. And then when this change of routine happens, we're like, what's happening? And so it's not intentional. It just it just happens. Maybe, maybe the, these new responsibilities personally, a new relationship or something going on within your family. Maybe it's old habits that resurface. Maybe it's just plain selfishness. Maybe it's our own self-absorption or, or self, self-centeredness. Maybe, maybe it's us playing the victim mentality, which is, which is I, I found, oh, God is good. I found I was, I was, I was playing the victim. I was playing the victim. And, you know, because there's so much going on, and I'm just like, you know, can, can we do this? Yeah, I, I can. Yes, yeah, so I'll do it. And now when you do this, and I said, I don't want to. I don't want to because I, I don't have any me time. What about me? What about me? When do I get to go do this? When do I get to do this? When do I have time to myself? And you, and you play the victim as if it was like something you deserve. And God caught me out on this. He says, Joe, that's. That's not right because in that playing the victim, I was getting further away from his word. I was getting further away in prayer. And and so God in his grace, God in his goodness, showed that to me. and, And spending time in the scriptures really helped put things in perspective and the privilege I have to look after these little ones, to show them the love of God. Because those changes weigh on your heart and that has you cranky and slowly drawing you away from who you're supposed to remain in. You see, this is where we, as God's children, need to get back to the basics of knowing God in the now. In real life. Not in theory, not in principle, but in reality. To make a point of, of, for me, getting to bed a little earlier so I can get up a little earlier and spend time in the Word and in prayer. Maybe it's instead of watching a TV show Instead of watching TV, maybe spending time talking to somebody and blessing and fellowshipping with them. Maybe it's just going for a walk and taking the little ones with me for a walk for them to enjoy God's creation as well. Perhaps instead of 30 minutes gaming, spend time with family and, and have a bit of fun. You see, what about in the midst of your hardship, looking at Elohim the God of power, and understanding that in Christ you have access to that power to live victoriously, to live triumphantly over that hardship. How about looking at Jehovah and knowing that by Christ he can supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? I shared this with the leaders a little while ago, Philippians 4:19. But my God shall supply all your need. And often I think about, well, he'll, he'll provide financially, or he'll provide food, or well, he'll provide the ability to overcome. He'll provide the desire to spend time on his word. He'll provide the heart to be more compassionate. He'll provide the long-suffering and the patience. He'll provide all things, not only physically, but spiritually as well. He's provided an armor of God so that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. He's provided you the sword of the spirit where you can fight effectively for the kingdom. He's provided the people of God where you can gather together and as a people, support, build up and shine as a light in society and in this world that is dark. He can provide such Things, and you realize that in the now, through Christ, even in your failure, even in my failure, we can be strengthened. That in victory we can be established and in difficulty we can be grown. Maybe, maybe we can get back to the basics and come to know who God is especially in how he reveals himself to us as Elohim, as Jehovah, and as our Saviour. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that is something definitely we could all learn from and be blessed by. So I'm going to ask my sister Caris to come up. I'm going to close in a song. So if you'd like to be upstanding, I'd like us just to sing this song, and I really want us to think about how he invites us to himself. Regardless of the hardship that you're going through, regardless of the difficulties that you face, regardless of the disappointments and the hurts that you've encountered, he asks and invites us to come to him. And that's what I want this song to be about this afternoon, I think, or this morning. Hopefully it's not this afternoon. So I'm going to ask Charis to come forward and, and please join us at home as you seek the Lord and meditate in this song of praise and of worship and of invitation oh, come, come to the altar the fire Precious blood of Jesus Christ. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we come to your altar even now. We thank you for the invitation that you've extended to us in Jesus Christ and that in him we are accepted in the beloved. Father, for all the struggles that we are going through, for all the hurts and the hardships that we encounter, Father, we repent of such things. We thank you for the invitation that you've extended to us to come to you. And I pray that we, as your children, will respond accordingly in humility, in gratitude, and in worship. So we ask for you to work your perfect work within each of our hearts. And for any individual here or at home, they will know the greatness of your love that is found in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have brought our forgiveness by shedding your blood. Thank you that you have secured our destiny by raising from the dead. Thank you that you will come back and claim us to yourself. So I pray now as your people, we will leave this place even now with a thirst for more of yourself and with a sensitivity to the work you're doing in each of our lives. Glorify yourself in your people. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much, everybody at home. God bless. Take care. Keep looking up and we'll see you next week.